If everyone could please come and grab a seat. Uh, Richard's asked me to read the Bible passage this morning to help conserve his voice. So uh, that's what I'm doing here. If you could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And we'll be reading from verses 1 to 30. Uh, 25, sorry. Verses 1 to 30. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins, virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in, in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Matt. Um, as you can tell, uh, I do have a bit of a croaky voice uh, today, so I apologize that you need to listen to this for the next 35 minutes or so. And I do apologize if I once in a while go have a drink of water. But uh, here I am. Um, last two weeks, our pastor Riley, who's um, not here today, uh, he spoke about Matthew on Matthew 24 on the message of being ready. And this being ready is the ready for his second coming, Jesus' second coming. Well, today in Matthew 25, I'm going to be speaking on the topic of being ready again. And I believe the Lord has given us this message again, running across these two chapters because of the significance and the importance of being ready for his second coming. And he gives us today two parables for us to explore so that we might be ready when he comes back. So if you're looking for a heading or a title for this sermon, I've racked my brains and I think some of Riley's creative juices have flowed through and I've got a title for this sermon. It's going to be Be Ready Part 2. <laughs> be Ready Part 2. All right. Well, <clears throat> have you ever been in a situation, situation where you're going to meet someone um, and you've, you're gonna, you want to ask them something? but there are certain things you hope that they don't say. Or for example, uh, you might have perhaps um, you're gonna, you're, someone has called you and said, hey, can I, can, can, I, can I meet you in the next couple of minutes or in an hour or so? And you're like wondering, why does he want to speak to me? I hope he's not going to say this to me. You know, to give you some examples to illustrate that. Perhaps it's that moment. I don't know if you can relate to this, but perhaps it's that moment where... You know, you've been seeing this girl or guy for quite some time and you feel like it's time to go to the next, next, you know, next space or whatever you want to call it, next step. And you're like, oh, you know, we've been meeting for quite some time and I was wondering if uh, you want to go on a date. What are the words you don't want to hear from that person? This is what I think at least. I'm sorry, I, uh, I thought we were friends, you know? And it's like, I'd rather you just say no, but, you know, that, that one's just tough, you know? Or perhaps it's one of those moments at work, uh, your boss calls you in. What is it that you don't want to hear from your boss? Perhaps it goes something like this. Richard, you've been an exceptional worker this, this year. You know, your project's excellent. I am very, very grateful for all the hard work you've done, but I apologize. I don't think I can give you a pay rise, you know? And you're like, you could have just told me I couldn't, I wasn't going to get a pay rise instead, you know? All that other stuff at the front, it's like, oh, I don't know if I really wanted to hear that. 
Last illustration, how about this? You've got two kids, two young kids, um, and you know, you've got the third one coming. And I'm not talking about Doug and Chris. I don't think they're here. I'm not talking about Doug and Chris. Two kids, you've got the third one coming, and you head to the obstetrician to find out the great news. What's the one thing you don't want to perhaps hear from the obstetrician? You got twins, you know? I don't know. I'm Doug and Carice, they love that they, they love that they were having twins. But perhaps these are some things that you do not want to hear. Well, here as we speak on Matthew 25, I want to ask you a question. If you were standing in the front gates of heaven, what is it that you do not want to hear Jesus say to you? What is it that you do not want Jesus to say to you? Today, I have three points in my sermon. The first two points are going to unpack what you don't want to hear from Jesus. And the last point will unpack what you do want to hear from Jesus. And so why don't we jump straight into our first point. First thing that you do not want Jesus to say to you come judgment day is this. I don't know you. I don't know you. In this parable, Jesus first creates the context and reminds us what the kingdom of heaven will be like. It will be like going to a marriage feast, he says. Now, I'm sure many of you have been to wedding ceremonies and receptions before. Just think about the greatest wedding reception you've been to. Like, I mean, the food is great, the entertainment is epic, and just seeing the lovely married couple together, it's such a joyful scene to be part of. But Jesus reminds us that this marriage feast that he wants all of us to be a part of, it's going to be at a much grander scale, a bigger scale than you've ever thought of, infinitely better than what you could ever think of. That's the wedding feast that we are being invited to. But, but he does warn us today that not everyone will be allowed in this marriage feast And from the very onset of this parable, Jesus paints a picture to show us who will and who won't be making it in. Read with me from verse 1 to 2. It says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lambs and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. We see in this passage ten virgins. Five of them, it says, Jesus describes as foolish and five are wise. Now, the question I have for you is, based on these two verses alone, if they were here right now, do you think you could distinguish between the foolish and the wise? What we see is that there were 10 virgins. We see that all 10 of them were carrying lamps. We see that all 10 of them were making their way up to the location where the bridegroom was coming. And we also know that all 10 of them have the same role and responsibility. That role and responsibility is to shine the light when the bridegroom, come, bridegroom arrives so that he can make his way to the feast. You know, up to this point, it's really hard to distinguish who are the five foolish and who are the five wise. In fact, when you read further down, there are many commonalities that we see more of. In verse 5 to 7, it says this, And the bridegroom was delayed. 
They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. There's so many commonalities between the ten. All ten know the bridegroom is delayed. All ten become drowsy and sleep upon arrival. And all ten wake up and hear the call of his arrival. You see, from the outward appearance and outward action, at this point, there's so many commonalities. Look at me. Don't we live in that day and age right now where it's all about outward appearance? You know, just look at, uh, you know, social media posts on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok or whatever other in- social media platforms there are. I mean, don't, doesn't social media, isn't, isn't that all based on just an outward appearance? You know, people showing their exotic, luxurious, always happy kind of li- lifestyle. But really, in reality, it's just external outward appearances, aren't they? You see, I think Jesus is warning all of us that outward appearances is actually really easy to deceive. You can't distinguish between the foolish and the wise by outward appearance and actions of people. Remember a couple of weeks back, we heard from Matt, we read on Matthew 23, Jesus spoke of the religious hypocrisies of the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 25, he says this, Jesus says this to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, we may be able to just see the outside of the cup and the outward appearance and seem that it's clean, but Jesus, he shows us that he sees the inside of the cup the inside of our hearts and the hearts of those who follow him. But Jesus does define and differentiate between the foolish and the wise for us. In verse 3 to 4, he says this, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. The key and only difference that enables us to distinguish between the foolish and the wise is the flask of oil. The wise took the flask of oil and the foolish five did not. So when the bridegroom finally arrives at midnight and a cry of his arrival is made, the five wise virgins have their spare oil to rekindle the flame, but the five foolish have none. You see, remember, all ten had a key role to play, to shine the light for the bridegroom as he enters the feast. That was the role, but only the five wise are able to fulfill this, and the five foolish cannot. The five wise, in, the five wise to say in a different way, he were, they were prepared. The five, the five wise were prepared. And the result of their preparedness was that they entered into the marriage feast with the bridegroom. Whereas the result of the five foolish, unprepared virgins, what was it? It seems like there was panic. You know, they asked the wise ones, oh, can I have some of the oil that you've got? They said, no. You know, some of us might think, man, that's a bit selfish, isn't it? Like, I mean, you know, as brothers and sisters, we're meant to be like helping each other out. But they say, No, because they know 
that the most important thing for them is their responsibility, the role that Jesus, the master, the bridegroom, has given. And if they give the oil away, perhaps they might not be able to fulfill their role. And so they say no. Instead, they say, go buy some instead. They go and buy some, the five foolish, and they finally return and they knock on the door. And this is the key point I want us to think about. What does Jesus say when the five foolish return? He says in verse 12, but Jesus answered, he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. I do not know you. What do you not want to hear from Jesus upon his arrival? I do not know you. Hold that thought for a moment and understand the gravity and the significance and the importance of that statement. Jesus says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Can you, can you imagine after all these years, perhaps you've been waiting and serving in the ministries, reading the word, praying, mission, etc. You've got this outward appearance of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But in this parable, there could be a possibility that Jesus could say to you, I do not know you. How can this be? You know, as I was meditating on these words, thinking about these words, it gave me shivers. You know, what disqualifies us from the kingdom of heaven? I thought I was prepared. Well, I think Jesus' answer, Jesus's answer to the foolish plays a big part in understanding what preparedness actually looks like. You see, the difference is to the foolish, right, there is no flask of oil. For the wise, there is the flask of oil. Everything else was the same. But Jesus' response to the foolish was, I do not know you. And to the wise, it was, come enter in, in enter into the feast. You know, based on this, being prepared, I think, is to be known by Jesus. He must know you and it's going to show out in how you live your life right now. And in all that we do, like the Pharisees, if we preach and if we tithe and if we pray and if we read the word and serve, but there's a rejection of Jesus, leaning on self-gain and self-confidence and self-righteousness and self-exaltation, then we all are just like the foolish. And perhaps on that day, we will hear, I don't know you. And if we live, live our lives like we have time, like he's not here yet, but when Christ does appear, you can't all of a sudden submit and give your life to Christ. Just like the foolish virgins who, when the bridegroom came, they appeared, when the bridegroom appeared, they decided to borrow. They said no. They wanted to buy. They bought some and they knocked on the door. But what did Jesus say? It's too late. No, I do not know you. Spiritual preparedness is not something others can provide for you. Each needs their own oil. And it's not, and it's too late to get some when he arrives. To be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven, Jesus must know who you are. 
your preparation right now must involve him knowing who you are. Yes, Jesus knows all things. Of course he does. He knows who the foolish are, but he clearly knows who are from his flock and he also knows who are not from his flock. Friends, what do we not want to hear come judgment day? It's for Jesus to say to us, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Well, if this parable warns us of the first thing we do not want to hear Jesus say to us, parable two speaks of the second thing we do not want to hear Jesus say to us. And this is my point number two. You don't want to hear Jesus say to you, you don't know me. The first one, I don't know you. And the second one, you don't know me. And although this text in the parable explicitly doesn't say that, but I want to unpack this passage to show you how we can come to that conclusion. Now, in the first two sentences of this second parable, we see a master who entrusts a large sum of money to his servants. And each servant receives a specific amount of talent. To one, he says he gave five talents to another two talents, and to another one talent. Now, during those times, a talent was a monetary unit. And a talent, one talent, was equivalent to, they say, about 20 years of a laborer's job. Now, if you want to put that in perspective for us right now, that's assuming, you know, if our average salary is about 70000 a year, that's like giving someone $1.4 million. That's one talent. This is a large sum of money. But here's the thing, the master isn't a foolish master. Because in verse 15, it says, He gave to each according to his ability. He gave to each according to his ability. He knows, the master knows the capability, the skill set of each of his servants, and he gives them accordingly. And so as we continue on with this parable in verse 16 to 17, he says this, He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two more talents. Can you see the confidence in these two servants? You know, there's no retaliation of, oh, this is too much. There's no comment of, oh, what if I lose the money? What am I to do with this? What if I make a loss? But rather, they have complete confidence in the master's judgment and they get straight to work. Again, we see, like the previous parable, they are given a role. They've been given talents and we are called to use it. And so in confidence, they trade them and double the sum initially given. But as for the one talent servant, It says in verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Can you see the contrast? He too, this one talent guy, he too, he had a role. He had talents that he was called to use to trade the money. But instead, what does he do? Digs it in the ground. He does nothing with it. What was he doing this time, this whole time while the master was gone? Well, I'm sure he was doing something. 
But what we do know was that he was doing nothing with the role, with the talent his master had given him. Now, after a long period away, the master finally arrives back and we see the outcome of their works. Read with me in verse 20 to 23. It says this, And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. He, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. He, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, the master is pleased. In fact, if you noticed, the servant with the five talents received the same commendation as the one with the two talents. There's no difference. But what about the one with the one talent? Verse 24 to 27, it says this, He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. Now, these three verses are critical, I believe, to the meaning of this parable. You see, if you look at the structure of this parable, between the five talent and two talent servants, you don't see much dialogue between, Jesus, uh, between the master and the servant. It's, this is what I've done, commendation. This is what I've done, commendation. But it's different. It's different for the one talent. You see, there's a longer piece of dialogue, right? There's a longer piece of dialogue happening between the master and the one-talent servant. And I think this is because Jesus wants to point this out to us. This is the main part I want you to be aware of. And so I'm going to tell you in more detail what this is all about. He's saying, you see, the one-talent servant, if you read that passage, what's his view of the master? Firstly, he calls him master, number one, so he knows who the master is, just like the five foolish virgins. They knew who the bridegroom was. But I think this one talent servant, he has a skewed understanding of his master. In the commentary by Douglas O'Donnell, he says this regarding the one talent servant. He says this, this one talent servant, his view of God, if you'll allow me, is so high, it's too low. Oh Lord, you're such a sovereign master, an unmoved mover, that whatever I did with the talent wouldn't matter to you anyway, so I did nothing. The one talent servant, he has a high view of his master, but definitely a wrong view of his master. Perhaps he thinks his master is unjust, he got five talents. 
He got two talents. How come I only get one talent? In fact, he calls his master a hard man. You know, that means that he thinks his master's strict. He thinks his master's cruel, harsh, merciless. And he also says his master reaps where he did not sow and gathers where he scattered no seeds. That's pretty much calling his master a tyrant. He's saying, you master, you take things others have worked on hard for and you take it without even caring whether other people get hurt in the process. That's what this one talent servant is saying to his master. And so what's the result of his view of his master? Verse 25, it says, he's afraid of him. He's afraid. He has a skewed view, the wrong view of who the master is. Can you see the point Jesus is making? Parable one, I don't know you to the foolish. In this parable, we see that Jesus is pointing out Although not not explicitly saying, he's saying to the foolish one-talent servant, you don't know me. You don't know me. You see, how are we to enter the kingdom of heaven if the one who has the keys to heaven, the one who has the keys to eternal life, eternal joy, says to you, I don't know you and you don't know me. The result of this parable is that he calls his servant wicked and slothful. His talents are taken away and given to the one who had 10 talents. And again, what we see is that the door is shut, cast out into the darkness to eternal condemnation where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, Jesus, it says he, He's given us all talents. These talents may be spiritual gifting. It may be worldly resources, maybe opportunities. It may be your abilities and skill sets and knowledge and intellect. Each one of us has, given, has, has God-given gifts and opportunities to be of service to God and to give glory to God as we use them. We are called to use them. But perhaps if you flip the coin to the other side, what I don't want people to do is also think that, oh, I've got this gifting. I'm an amazing singer. Next week, I'm going to have to speak to Henry and tell him, I need to be in this band. Why aren't you letting me in this band? I have this gifting. Let me use it. No, that also is a skewed view. We're trying, we're, we are called to use the talents for his glory, not for ourselves because we think we need to do this and if we don't, we'll get punished. These two parables are a gracious warning for us today. Hard to hear, right? It's difficult to hear, but one that we must be aware of. Do you know Jesus He wants us to know him, not just in here, in our head, and not just through external actions, but he wants us to know him in here, in our hearts, internally. 
So then how are we to be ready for the second, com- second coming of Jesus? What must we do so that we do not hear the words from Jesus, I do not know you and you do not know me? That leads me to my final point, point three. What you do want to hear from Jesus is this good and faithful servant. But what must we do then to be known by Jesus? We need to do the will of God. You want to be known by Jesus? Do the will of God. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We read that today, didn't we? Very similar. The, the five foolish virgins knocked on the door and said, Lord, Lord, open the door. But in this passage, again, Jesus reminds us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who does? But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me again, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Again, we heard that. In today's parable, I do not know you. And Jesus warns us again, I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, me, you workers of lawlessness. How can we be prepared? How can we be known by Jesus on the day of judgment? It's those who are doing the will of the Father. Faithful obedience and submission in carrying the cross and obeying his commands, using the talents he has given you for the glory of his name. We need to be working. You need to be actively working. In James James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, faith apart from works is dead. We need to be working. But here's the twist, right? Here's the twist. Honestly, Can anyone here do the will of the Father faithfully, perfectly, submissively till the very end? Anyone? Sorry, but the truth is we can't. Just look back in the short life that you've already lived. We haven't already, including myself. We failed to do the will of God. But church, we know the one who has. Jesus has. He has completely and perfectly and faithfully fulfilled the will of the Father. And through him, we have complete access to the Father in his kingdom. In Matthew 26, verse 39, it says this, My Father, Jesus says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is saying, I'm going to submit faithfully to your will, God. You know, this will of God in this passage points to the death of Jesus. This was God's plan all along. Isaiah 53, 16, it says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And Jesus, what does he do? He submits to the Father's will by dying on the cross.
for our sins. This was the fulfillment of the will of the Father, Father, in order that we who cannot fulfill the will of the Father might be saved through not our works, through not our abilities, but completely through the finished work of Jesus. And so, friends, I'm not saying that, well, then, should we just lean on the cross and do nothing? No. But rather, what I'm saying is, as we carry that cross, which we are all called to do, as we obey his commands, which we are all called to do, as we serve the body of his church, which we are all called to do, as we read the word and meditate on it, as, which, we, which we are all called to do, when we pray, which we are all called to do, the difference between the five wise and the five foolish is that the foolish, they rejected Jesus and they did it all by themselves. The five wise, they did it trusting in Jesus. They did it knowing that they could not do it on their own efforts. So they went to the one who has fulfilled it all. Doing the will. Attempting, friends, but at times failing. But looking at Christ, who paid for our failings, paid for our debts, cleaned. And then we go again, looking again at the Savior. And the Savior looking at you because he knows you. Friends, you can look at him and go back to him. This is our master. He's not a tyrant. He's not hard. He's not harsh. He's not cruel or merciless. Not like the one one talent man described him as. Remember, Jesus Christ, he bore our sins and paid the debt we owed on the cross. For the past year or so, as we've been looking through the book of Matthew, we saw Jesus, remember? He's gentle and lowly at heart. He's gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love, faithful towards the unfaithful. He's patient with us, kind towards us. He heals us and feeds his sheep. He looks for the lost. He has compassion towards us. He's good to us. That's the Jesus we have encountered. And if you're here, perhaps sitting here for the first time hearing about who Jesus is, it's not too late. He hasn't arrived yet. There is, we are still in a time of preparing. Give your life to Jesus. Commit your life to Jesus while you have time. He is the only way. And for those already given their lives to Jesus, he knows your abilities. He knows your capacity. Some of us here are gifted with five talents. Some of us two talents and some of us one talent. And we can use them with confidence, like the five and the two talent servants in the parable, because each talent that we have, we use, but it's all upheld by Jesus on the cross. So church, as I conclude, verse 13 tells us this. What are we to do? Watch. Watch. 
Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour. This is not a call for you to stay awake 24-7, peering out the window every moment, checking if Jesus is here. No. But rather, Jesus is calling us as we actively use our talents, as we actively do the will of God, never, ever lose sight of Jesus and his saving grace in all that we do. Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta. We're only six months into the year. We've just passed halfway and we've done a lot, haven't we? And I want to commend you all. I want to commend you all for all that you've done and how you've used your talents. But as you continue on serving the Lord, not Riley, not serving me, not serving the person sitting next to you or not even yourself, but as you serve the Lord, continue being watchful. Continue being ready, using the apportioned talent given to you, but looking to Christ and the joy in Christ so that when he does come, which we do not know when, may Jesus say to all of you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm going to pray and after this prayer, we have a prophetic impression um, that our sister Rach has that we'd like to share for you. And perhaps that applies to you. And so if that's for you, I want you to weigh it. And if it's a conviction of your heart, perhaps speak to someone about it today. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our joy, our greatest gift. Lord, and we thank you that you have apportioned talents for all your people here today. But Father, thank you that in our failings of using these talents, we have our Master, our Lord Jesus Christ, who completed and fulfilled all things, the will of the Father completely, so that we might rest in that. And Father, as we cling on to you until you come, O oh Lord, we ask that we would do it, setting our eyes, our gaze upon you. For you, O oh Lord, are the only way. You are the truth. You are the life. Help us to go to you, O oh Lord, we pray. Amen.